Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. But right now, they need military assistance. They need economic assistance. They need assistance, uh, the, as they tell me every day. I talk to Ukrainians every single day for, uh, you know, for uh, territorial defense. Uh, one of my colleagues mm-hmm. yesterday said, Mike, we need knee pads. And I was surprised by that. And he's like, well, yes, we need knee pads because when you're on your knees shooting, you need knee pads to stay the course. That's the way common Ukrainians are thinking about their country today. That's Michael McFall, who's really become a star of this story. The former ambassador to Russia under Barack Obama. Um, and he has been uh, pretty exasperated over people being slow to recognize how evil Putin is and how unwilling he is to cave to sanctions. And how much we need to help the Ukrainians. That story there. They, they need all kinds of things like knee pads so they can be on their knees in the cement or the top of a building all day long picking off Russian soldiers. So this came together quickly. We've got a reporter with CBS Radio and the Moscow Times. Felix Light joins us. Felix, where are you uh, calling us from? Uh, I'm in Moscow right now, the Russian capital. Well, tell us what's the latest from there. Well, you know, uh, it's been a pr- couple of pretty crazy days. You know, we, we woke up uh, yesterday to the news that sort of, uh, well, you're in a, a country that's invaded another country. It's an, an unwilling and a, it's, it's a difficult and it's a bewildering experience. You know, uh, we, you know, we've been sort of following the news today. I think a lot of people are very, very, very sort of uh, keyed into this. And, you know, uh, there were some protests against the war last night, a lot of actually a lot of sort of outcry against it. You know, it's not a sort of a consensus position, I think, among the Russian population. You know, perhaps half of the country broadly supports it and half is against. You know, it's a very split society here and there's there's no sort of uh, consensus on this uh, military action in Ukraine. So there were protests all across the country, and I I think most people were shocked by the size of them, the the, the size of the crowd in in Moscow and St. Petersburg in particular. I mean, with with what people are risking in a country like Russia, because you get arrested and that goes on your record and it affects your ability to go to school or get a job. I mean, you're you're really putting a lot on the line to protest. If you're correct that it's 50-50 now, Wait till Russian soldiers start dying in a prolonged insurgency. I got to believe those numbers could turn against Putin pretty quickly. What What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, certainly. You know, it's it's kind of hard to to, to know how many sort of uh, casualties Russia has sustained in the operation so far. But the Ukrainians are talking about sort of three thousand Russians dead, which would be that's almost as much as the U.S. lost in Iraq in two decades. You know, it's an extraordinary number, and and it will be difficult to sort of sell people on this uh, on on sort of serious losses. You know, and people also you know they don't see Ukraine totally as a sort of a foreign country. They see Ukraine as a country with which they have very strong sort of cultural, historical links. And, you know, fighting in Syria or fighting in, I don't know, in Chechnya for previous wars that Russia's done, these are very different sort of propositions to fighting in Ukraine, you know, a neighbor. It's almost like the U.S. fighting in Canada or something like that. You know, it's, 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 it's quite an extraordinary sort of thing that, that Putin has done and that he's asking the people to bear. And I think, you know, a lot of people here are, su- are suggesting that this could be really, really, really difficult for his uh, regime further down the line. So one of the reasons I was surprised at the size of the protests so quickly yesterday was I had been taking in our media, 
telling me that Russian media, Russian state media, was entirely different, entirely different story than what we've been hearing in the West with our free press. That this was, uh, you know, a, a defensive battle. That NATO is trying to surround Russia. That, that, that there is no choice. That the United States and NATO has forced Putin into this situation. But obviously, those people on the streets heard different news. Where are they getting their information? Do you have any idea? Well, it's it's true that sort of the, the picture painted on sort of Russian state TV was very different from that in the West. But, you know, there are sort of independent media in Russia. There just aren't very many of them, and they're under attack a lot of the time. So, you know, people do have, through those sort of, you know, news websites, independent TV channels, and plus just through the Internet, people do have sort of access to sort of, you know, accurate information. And many, many Russians do also speak English as well, so they can consume sort of information from outside uh, Russia. So there is sort of very much a, a and people do understand what's going on. You know, at the same time, it is it does sort of bear repeating that um, on the state channels you'll get a totally different story. You know, you'll get sort of no talk of an invasion, but about a special operation to sort of save Russians in Ukraine from 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 quote a genocide. You know, ludicrous sort of tales. But that's sort of what half the country is being told, especially the older half, the less educated half, the half that doesn't necessarily live in big cities. That's what they're sort of being told, and that's what they'll believe. Interesting, because I was about to ask if the, if there's any sort of um, way you can break down who was in the protest. It looked like a lot of young people. I don't know if you have any sense oh, of what yeah. their their uh, economic class tends to be that were protesting. Well, yeah, absolutely. A sort of a young and a sort of uh, an educated and a certainly a middle class sort of uh, uh, kind of person. You know, the kind of person that's sort of here in Moscow, which is in many ways a very sort of European city. Uh, you know, this is the kind of kind of person. This is the kind of person who's all sort of traditionally sort of leans against Putin anyway. The kind of person who maybe protested for Alexei Navalny a year ago. You know, that opposition leader who was uh, sentenced to jail uh, here. And sort of this, it's very much that kind of group. You know, that's not a huge group in Russian society, but it is. Not a, it's not a small one either, and it's quite an influential one sometimes. Talking with Felix Light, who's actually in Moscow, the capital of Russia, I guessed as to what these people were risking protesting in the streets. What could yeah. be the, uh, the, the the ramifications of being a person out there arrested by a Russian police? Well, you know, we saw sort of almost 2,000 people arrested last night, so a real crackdown. You know, I was in Moscow, and sort of throughout the center, it was almost like a sort of a military deployment of sort of, you know, police trucks and sort of riot police and everything, you know. So it was an extraordinary sort of uh, level of aggression, especially with sort of just, um, uh, you know, a lot of journalists getting arrested as well. You know, really sort of a lot of police violence against the people, I think. Uh, but in general, you know, you can you can risk all sorts of things here. You can risk sort of being blackballed from from uh, from work, you can risk uh, being thrown out of your university if you're a student. Uh, you know, a lot of sort of what's been quite interesting is a lot of sort of cultural figures. You know, celebrities have been speaking out, and they have a lot to lose because they can be sort of totally blackballed from uh, state-controlled media channels. So that's a real sort of problem for these kind of guys. But it does show that I think there is a real reserve of sort of anger about what's happening in Ukraine among the Russian people right now. You might be interested in this, Felix. I saw a, a, a historian on one of the news channels today say in 1968, when the Russians went into Czechoslovakia, there was a protest the next day there right outside the Kremlin. A total of eight people were out there, and they were beaten quickly and taken away, and that was the end of it. That shows you how times have changed. They didn't have smartphones back then. 
No, they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> and the ability to uh, to crack down under you know darkness without a lot of media seeing it is you know was way different in 1968 than it is now. Well, Felix Light, your uh, Twitter handle is at Felix Underline Light. Is that the way you say it? That is it. Yeah, that yeah. is it. Appreciate your time today. Thanks, Felix. And uh, maybe we'll get in touch. Uh, this might drag out for a long time. Thanks a lot. Felix Light in Moscow. I was in Moscow in 2007, January of 2007. I went there for a vacation, which I still don't even remember why I thought that was a good idea. It was fascinating, and I'm, 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 I'm glad I did it. But, like, memories are a little hazy as to why I made that decision. But anyway... I had a point to this. What was my point? Moscow being in... Oh, he was talking about the countryside and the uh, the uneducated countryside and what information they have. I When I took the train, I flew into Moscow, and then I was going to spend several days in St. Petersburg, which is a six-hour train ride away, if I remember correctly. Uh, so I got on a train, and I'm riding between Moscow and St. Petersburg, and as it was getting dark, and we're going through rural, rural, like I'm from really rural America. Western Kansas, tiny towns, very, very far apart. It was more rural than this out there at that time. And as it was getting dark, weren't wasn't a lot of lights. I was shocked. I'd go by little places, little like farmhouses and that sort of stuff. It looked like something from a, 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 a Russian painting from the 1800s or something you would envision from a, a Tolstoy story. Just these farmhouses in a barn and uh, no no light as it was getting dark outside and just uh, quite a disconnect from the uh, the big glittering cities. Where, where in Moscow, I was shocked at how many Mercedes dealerships there were and um, Ferraris and that sort of stuff as the uh, as the, the 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 rich were getting rich super fast. But I'm sure that didn't spread to the entire country. Anyway, there would be quite a disconnect between the glittering European like. Uh, wealth of the big cities and the countryside where they probably mostly just get the state TV and only know what they're being told by the government. Uh, One other story I want to tell about, if you've seen any of these videos of people down in the subway tunnels, I got a story about that, having ridden the subways of Moscow and St. Petersburg, among other things on the way. And if you want to join the conversation, you always can on the text line at 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Ukrainian cities are in chaos. The highways are jammed with people trying to leave, and the people who couldn't get out are using subway stations as bomb shelters. And while you're down there, find that pantsless guy who's always on the train yelling, the end is near. Because I think we owe him an apology. I'm not sure I'm down with the late night comedians making jokes about all this. Uh, Maybe I'm taking in more news coverage than the average person, but I saw a number of really touching emotional stories yesterday of Ukrainians laying down their lives for those that died in the last couple of days and are about to lay down their lives and uh, just can't go there with uh, some of those jokes. Uh, More on the subways here in a second, though, because I've got personal experience with some of that. Ukraine President Zelensky says Russian advance has been stopped in most directions. 
Ukraine's military has stopped Russian invasion troops, he announced, uh, at 4 a.m. local time. So uh, when I went to bed last night, the reporting was that Russian soldiers were 20 miles outside of Kiev. I'm now saying Kiev. Why? Because Ukrainians pronounce it Kiev. Russians pronounce it Kiev. I'm going to go with the home country's pronunciation and the country that is a democracy and not the country that is invading a neighbor. So from now on, I'm going with Kiev in solidarity. But uh, so Russian troops were just outside when I woke up this morning. The reports were that Russian soldiers are in the city of Kiev and looking for government officials. And there's a chance Zelensky is going to be shot today. And whether or not this announcement he just made that the Russians have been stopped is um, is spin to try to give people hope or actually true. I haven't got any idea. How serious are the sanctions? I want to talk about that in a second. But first, the subway, since um. You've probably seen videos of people huddled down in the subways there in Kiev, and uh, lots of moms, a lot, lot more moms than dads, I think, because dads have been asked to fight. It's been made illegal as a male between, I think it was 18 and 60, fighting age, although you know up to 60 is, is pushing it pretty high. No male between 18 and 60 is allowed to leave the country right now. You're supposed to go uh, to whatever office in whatever town and get yourself a gun and fight. And a lot of them are. A lot of them are. I've seen the videos of that. But so lots of moms and kids down in those subways. Well, when I went to Moscow, the first thing I noticed riding the Moscow subway, and even as I say this, I can't believe I was in Moscow riding the subway without being able to speak Russian. How did I find my way around? I remember it was terrifying and awful, and I, I felt like I had made a terrible mistake even before I got out of the airport. But anyway... I'm riding the subway in Moscow, and the first thing you notice when you get on the escalator, you've ridden subways, right? New York City subway, you don't go down very far. It's like going down a floor and a half in a building. It's just it's just down low enough to be barely underground. In Moscow, you get on the, you step around the corner and look at the escalator. Holy crap, you can't see the bottom of the damn thing. And to get on it and think, where am I headed? It's weird. Some of them, I believe, are a, a, a half a mile down. I mean, they're really, really long escalators. You just keep riding and riding and riding past many pictures of Stalin, which I found weird at the time and now makes more sense. But you keep going and going. That's because those subway stations were designed with the purpose of being bomb shelter. They're not just using the subway stations as bomb shelters now. That's why. That's how they were designed. They're supposed to be the bomb shelters, particularly... Um, uh, as defense against the United States if we would ever attack. And Ukraine, at the time that they were building these subway stations deep, deep underground, Ukraine was a part of the Soviet Union, so Kiev has the same bomb shelters that were designed to protect them against the United States. How odd is that? They're now down in these bomb shelters to try to protect themselves against Russia getting help although marginal help so far, getting help from the United States. So that's quite the change of history. You'd get on an escalator and ride it and ride it and ride it and ride it. Then you would get off, turn a little corner, and then get on another escalator that went down, 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 down. They're very, very steep. And it's kind of a weird feeling to be that far underground. 
subway stations in in Moscow. I don't know about in Kiev. Are gorgeous. Never seen anything like that anywhere else in the world. Certainly in the United States. I mean, like being in a fabulous museum. The architecture and the marble statues and the ornate light fixtures and everything like that. I've got pictures. I should uh, dig up the pictures and post them. I mean, just beautiful. You want to walk around the sub- subway station and enjoy it. No graffiti or anything like that. They don't put up with that crap. No, no, no homeless people laying around there, at least at the time I was there. Just beautiful, beautiful subway stations. And uh, these people are utilizing them for their original intent, which was to be a bomb shelter, which I hope they don't need, but I think they are going to. The sanctions, a lot of them are pretty damn weak and pretty damn phony. I learned throughout the day yesterday. Very disappointing. I was watching CNN. Jake Tapper uh, and his guests came on right when Biden was wrapping up his speech yesterday, going after uh, the oligarchs and the sanctions and everything like that. Erin Burnett, I don't know if you know her act on CNN. She used to have her own financial show. I don't know if she still does. But they had her on as a guest, and he said, and she said, look... I haven't gone over this list yet. I'm going to get into it. But the list that the Biden administration put out earlier this week, they had five names on the list. I can tell you that those five oligarchs weren't in the top 10 richest Russians or the top 20 or 25 or even 40. They weren't even close to the elite of the elite, which is what it would take to make a dent in Putin's power or or threaten Putin at all. For some reason, at least so far, we have not gone after the top of the list of billionaires in Russia. I'm not exactly sure why that is, if they're just that powerful or what, but a lot of this is window dressing, including some that I'll read from the Wall Street Journal on that coming up. If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So Michael's been pushing this Jimmy Kimmel clip. You see how I did that, Michael? I'm putting it on you so if people don't like it. I feel none of the repercussions. Yeah, th- thanks, Jack. <laughs> um, Wall Street Journal out with a piece on how the, the, the sanctions announced were really weak. And uh, I was very disappointed to find that out. Um, if not now, when, I mean, so does the president of Ukraine actually have to get shot on camera before we get to the next level of saying, I I don't quite understand, but more on that later, I've got a Hank, the tank, the bear update. And, um, we'll have that in just a second. And this from Jimmy Kimmel. Hey, America, it's your old pal, Joey B. I don't need to tell you that the world's changing fast. A little too darn fast, if you ask me, Jack. Everybody's putting their dough in Bitcoin this, <laughs> cryptocurrency that. Trouble is, there are no laws to keep those investments safe. It's the dang wild west out there, man. If you're the kind of dude who wants to keep your money safe and out of the hands of the government, save your money the way my mom and dad did. In a coffee can full of nickels. A coffee can full of nickels hidden under your mattress is just about the safest investment there is. First of all, it's a coffee can. Those suckers seal up tight. Second, there's no sweeter treasure than a tub of shiny nickels. As long as there are general stores selling Malamars and candy buttons, nickels are going to be worth a whole hell of a lot. And third, it's under your mattress. Come on, man. That's like your own cushy Fort Knox. 
Nobody's checking under there. Not even Mr. Taxman. Plus, this investment appreciates in value. I swear, sometimes I open my coffee can, and it feels like there's a hell of a lot more nickels in there than before. It's like they're having nickel babies in there. <laughs> so, act now, and you also get a Bill Malarkey rookie card for the spokes of your bicycle. Absolutely free! This message brought to you by people who still use dial-up internet. Oh, that reminds me. My parents sent me an email yesterday. Uh, my mom sent me an email saying we no longer uh, have our home phone number, so we now only have uh, my and dad's uh, cell phone numbers. So even my parents, so that to me, that's that's the end of uh, landlines, right? When my parents have announced they no longer think a landline is necessary, landlines are officially dead. Officially dead. Uh, long live landlines. Um, the latest on Ukraine, Daily Defense and the Washington Examiner with this headline, Outmanned, Outgunned, Outflanked, Ukrainian forces in desperate battle to forestall what seems inevitable. Russian troops are in the capital of Kiev, and they're looking for politicians, especially the president. I'll have more on that coming up in just a little bit. Um, Tim Sandifer was tweeting out today the disgusting hashtaggery, he called it. From a lot of the world as we just watch a democratically elected government go into hiding and possibly be executed by the end of the weekend. Jim Garrity of the National Review tweeting out, it means absolutely nothing for Italy to light up the Colosseum in the colors of the Ukrainian flag or for Germany to do the same with the Brandenburg Gate. If those two are the ones holding out on barring Russian banks from the swift banking system. Yeah, Italy announcing and Germany announcing that they're eh, the, 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 cutting them out of the SWIFT banking system. That's that's too far with the sanctions. <coughs> We're not comfortable with that. But we will light up the Roman Colosseum in the colors of the Ukrainian flag in solidarity. That's what Tim Sandford called disgusting hashtaggery. I'm not certain I'm on board with the kicking Russia out of the SWIFT banking system. I understand the other side of the argument. Ian Bremmer made the point yesterday. Ian Bremmer is a a friend of the Armstrong and Getty show. Cutting Russia from the swift banking. That would basically be, um, and this is a very dumbed-down version of it, but basically it would make it practically impossible for Russia to participate in the world economy because that's the the, the system that we all use. Ian Bremmer tweeted out, Cutting Russia from swift would be one of the toughest sanctions possible, but it would also quickly bring Russia and China together to create an alternate payments system. It's not going to happen, at least for now, and that's because Italy and Germany aren't on board. Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about that. Canada going after truckers and making it impossible for their for them to participate in banking, that's on an individual level. Us going after Russia and making it impossible for some countries to participate in the the banking system the rest of us use, is that just going to fracture the more or less universal banking system that we've all been a part of for, for, for a very long time now? Is it just going to drive rogues or protesters, whoever, into the arms of something else, whether it's crypto or you know, uh, 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 dark Internet stuff, and uh, it'll actually be worse in the long run. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to understand that, but I certainly do get the other side of the argument. I do hate hashtag activism. Announcing you're not for the strongest sanction, but saying, but we will light up the Brandenburg Gate here in Germany in the f- 
colors of the Ukraine flag. That sort of stuff makes me sick. And there's there are way too many people think they're doing something with hashtags. That you you understand that critique from Tim, right? It's the whole hashtag we stand with Ukraine and people feeling like they've accomplished something. No, you haven't. You want to accomplish something, donate blood or, you know, write your congressman if you have a particular thing you want. That's doing something. Hashtags, uh, singing songs, lighting up things. Nah, not so much. The Hank the Tank update. If you don't know who Hank the Tank is, well, you haven't been paying attention to news this week, but have that for you in just a second. Armstrong and Getty happy happy to be associated with Simply Safe for a whole bunch of different reasons. Simply Safe Home Security. First of all, crime's up all across the country. The perception that crime is up is very high. You know why? Because crime is actually up. That's where the perception comes from. And the best home security system that you can get out there is Simply Safe. It's a um it's not very expensive, less than a dollar a day. You can set it up yourself in around 30 minutes, but it has everything you need to keep your home safe. From entry and motion sensors to indoor and outdoor cameras that are absolutely fantastic. Simply Safe is monitored 24-7 by professionals ready to dispatch police, firefighters, or EMTs to your home. Again, less than a dollar a day and no long-term contracts or commitment. Many, many security systems, you have to sign up for two years if you want to use it at all. And then you decide a couple of months in, hey, I don't like this thing or I don't use it. You can customize the perfect system for your home with Simply Safe in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Just go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. That's simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So you have this giant bear rummaging through people's cabins and eating their food. The bear was named Hank the Tank. Now, this was the subject of uh, kicker stories on cable news shows and jokes among comedians all week long. And I don't know if Joe and I ever really mentioned it this week. One of the reasons I never wanted to get to the story was because I assumed it was going to have a horrible ending. I, I know how these stories usually end, and it ain't going to be cute. They're, they've decided that the bear is no longer afraid of humans, and they're going to shoot it. And that takes a lot of the fun out of it, doesn't it? Well, it turns out that Hank the Tank got a bad rap. The rotund black bear from Lake Tahoe that captured international attention won't be killed or moved to a sanctuary after all, at least for now. Yesterday, state wildlife officials issued a pardon and vindication of sorts for the 500-pound black bear that they originally said was solely responsible for burglarizing nearly three dozen homes in the Tahoe Keys neighborhood of South Lake Tahoe over the past few months. 36 homes? The bear had gotten into and eaten their food. Turns out they took DNA samples collected from the properties that showed there are at least two other large black bears that have broken into some of these homes. So thanks to DNA evidence, as so often happens, someone that was wrongly accused, in this case a bear, is uh, is going to avoid uh, punishment for now. I, I still think it's going to have a, a bad ending. And that they are just, uh, the bear's going to get too close to a home when officials are around and they're going to shoot and kill the bear, which is unfortunate. Why did I, why did, why did I do this story with this ending? Who, who on a Friday morning wants to get up and hear me hit you? Everybody in, everybody in America enjoyed the Hank the Tank bear story and I had to take it dark. It's reality, but I had to take it dark. So I, I think that you may be over egging the pudding a bit. Probably ought to take a long look at why I would do that. Why why I would take a fun story and turn it dark like that. It's it's a 
sad and sick and twisted. Maybe I'll see if I can get a, a quickie therapist session going during a commercial break, lay on the couch, and talk to them about that. What is what is inside me that's making me want to do that? Um, here's a couple of quick hits for you before we take a break, and then I want to get into why those sanctions that were announced by the Biden administration yesterday are pretty damned soft, which is disappointing. Ian Bremmer. Yesterday tweeted out, I'm surprised Macron called Putin today. Yeah, Francis President Macron gave Putin a call after the invasion. Do you remember how that went last week when Macron came out and said, uh, Vladimir Putin has given me his assurances that he is not going to invade Ukraine. I mean, that se- we thought it was silly at the time. It seems obviously very silly in retrospect. And most people's re- reaction was, he promised you? What the hell does that even mean? Uh, surprised Macron called Putin today after the embarrassment of being lied to his face in the last two efforts. Yeah, what are you hoping to accomplish by calling a guy who has lied to you publicly and made you look like a putz in the last week? Well, some people are gluttons for punishment. Russia supplies 40% of Europe's natural gas imports. Did you know that? 40%. That is a lot. That is uh, that is the vice that Putin has a lot of Europe in. And uh, Oh, and I forgot to mention, we haven't done this for a while, uh, President Biden has called his nominee for the Supreme Court and said, guess what, you're going to be on the court. That name and what they're all about, we'll get to that next. I'm not exactly sure about the timing of this, why this is coming out today, knowing it's going to, like, really, did he want it to get covered up by Ukrainian news coverage? Like, didn't want or or was hoping to distract from the fact that the president of Ukraine might be lined up against the wall and shot today? I don't know. Or, or maybe it's just a coincidence. I have no idea. Our text, all that stuff's on the way. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's it's heartbreaking to hear what is going to happen. Yeah. Well, I'm scared of what's going to happen in, in Western Europe, too. Yeah. You know, you just you plan a trip. You want to go there. I want to go to Italy for four years. I haven't been able to make it because of of uh, the pandemic. And now this, you know, it's, yeah. it's like who's going to what's going to happen there? That's Joy Behar of The View, a horrible program with, uh, with horrible people on it, uh, complaining that. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is going to delay her trip to Italy. That's a hell of a thing to say out loud when uh, when you got... I, I got a picture here. I'll have to... We should post it or I'll retweet it. Just came up, uh, across a picture of a whole bunch of little kids lined up trying to entertain themselves down in the subway station there, trying to stay alive with their moms while their dads are up, uh, you know, at some government office being handed Kalishnikovs trying to learn how to fire a gun to try and see if they can stay alive as Russian troops are going into the capital of Kiev. Um, yeah, so your whole trip to Italy thing just seems a little tone deaf, bringing that up as a concern. I wish Joe was here to hear that. Joe's dead. No, Joe did not die. He's a playing golf. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Don't say that. Well, I just noticed when I said I wish Joe was here to say, was here to hear that story. I just it kind of sounded like you know 
Someone was just tuning in. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, like he's passed, and, you know, I just decided to come into work and do the show by myself. Since he got hit by a bus yesterday. No, he's playing golf. He has uh, abandoned the show, and it's a moment of need. Much like, remember, I can't remember the story that was going on where Barack Obama, it was a big controversy for like two days when some major world event was going on and Barack Obama was playing golf on Martha's Vineyard. But anyway, that, that's what Joe's doing now. Probably wearing a tan suit jacket. Um, so Joe Biden nominated a uh, black woman, as he promised, to be on the Supreme Court. Her name is Katanji Brown Jackson. She was, I think, the leading likely name out there uh, all along. And that is who he has chosen. Gave her a call last night, offered her the job. She accepted. She's 51 years old. She was born in Washington, D.C. and went to Harvard. Okay, you can talk about diversity all you want, diversity of skin color and all that sort of stuff. She is the will be the first black woman on the court, but born in Washington, D.C. and went to Harvard, as opposed to practically everybody else in that town who was born in New York or D.C. and went to Harvard or Yale. A couple of people are not happy about this. Lindsey Graham, senator from South Carolina, and the other senator from South Carolina, who's a black man, Tim Scott, who were really pushing this woman from South Carolina to be uh, the nominee. A Democrat, a black woman, but she came up through public schools. It would be some diversity of education in that finally we get somebody who's not from Harvard or Yale. U.S. Senator Tim Scott released the following statement after Biden's announcement that Judge Katani Brown-Jackson would be his nominee. I look forward to meeting with Judge Jackson and thoroughly vetting her record, as I have done for all previous nominees to the Supreme Court. As a fellow South Carolinian and the product of some of America's finest public schools, I believe Judge Michelle Childs, that's who he and Lindsey Graham were pushing, would have been an excellent nominee for our nation's highest court. I'm disappointed that President Biden missed the opportunity to nominate a highly qualified judge who had garnered widespread bipartisan support and have been and come from a slightly different background. I don't know. Maybe it's a good... It, 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 should You should have a class of elites that all go to the same colleges and run the country. It sure doesn't seem like the best idea to me. You look at the background of all these judges. We talk about this every time. What you, there's there's nobody that went to University of Michigan Law School or UCLA or uh, or, or te- University of Texas, Hook'em Horns. None none of those places. Just only Harvard and Yale. That's the only place you can go. And uh, yeah, okay, whatever. And um, why that news came out today was that purely just when they uh, finally made their decision. I find that hard to believe, but I can't imagine what the orchestration is. Did they want to bury the nomination? Because there has been some polling, quite a bit of polling, where people said, oh, he's just putting her on the court because she's black and a woman, because he had announced that he was going to nominate a black woman. Um, did they did they announce this on the day Russian troops are going into the capital of Ukraine because they wanted it buried? Or did they want to distract from the Ukraine? I don't actually know, and maybe I'm overthinking it. But I, I doubt that it was just... I doubt that they couldn't have held off till Monday, or Sunday, or done it last week. Uh, that that it's orchestrated in some manner, somewhat. So, uh, to kick off Hour 3 of the Armstrong and Getty Show, we're going to hear a lot from Michael McFall, the former ambassador to Russia, and some of his thoughts about... 
our efforts to stop Putin in his tracks with these sanctions and that sort of stuff. Looking at the TV, President Zelensky's on television again. He is actually in hiding for his life right now. That comedian turned president for Ukraine. He's getting rave reviews currently from inside Ukraine. Most people, and I, I'm in this camp, seem to think he has really met the moment in the last couple of days, and that he has changed before our eyes and grown into the role that has been thrust upon him. As Joe mentioned the other day, some men are born to greatness. Many have greatness thrust upon him. He he looks like a brave patriot who's doing the right thing, and and, and, and good for him. I, I think there's a decent chance he dies you know, by the end of the weekend um, when he's found by Russian troops. How the world is going to react to that, I don't know. But I saw Zelensky on TV last night in a green T-shirt because he'd been in military garb all day long, in actually in the trenches with troops, trying to bolster their confidence. Uh, but Zelensky was there and gave a speech last night looking really tired. He probably hasn't slept in days. And uh, he made the announcement, look, nobody's come to our aid. There are no foreign troops that are coming. We need to fight for our own country. Calling all men to arms. Um that's something. That is some that's some serious, serious stuff right there. Whatever you got going on today, it ain't as serious as those little kids down in that subway, uh, being protected by their parents, hoping that they can weather the storm. If you miss an hour of the Armstrong and Getty show, you can grab it on the podcast at Armstrongandgetty.com. We got much more to come. You can always join us on the text line, of course, at four one five two nine five KFTC. Armstrong and Getty.